Welcome to Camp Hike Live, the podcast devoted to helping you learn, enjoy, and explore the great outdoors. Hello there, campers, and welcome back to another episode of Camp Hike Live. I am Christopher Hiller, and I'm joined by Nathan Harrington. How are you doing, Nate? I'm doing well, just absolutely fantastic. I'm excited for this episode because this episode is going to be just as much of a learning experience for me as it is for you guys back home because we're going to talk today about canoeing and a little bit of like the water sport side. I have very, very little, little experience with. I've been on like one kayaking trip in my life and I know this is right in Christopher's wheelhouse. So we're going to pick his brain. We're going to dive right in and get as much information as we can about canoeing in today's episode. Episode. So let's get right into it. Before we get started, Chris, what is going on with you? I hear you had like a disaster at your place. Well, nearly. We had a, a, a huge tornado. It was a, a early fall, I guess we'd call a tornado, or maybe it wasn't quite fall yet, but real close. It, it, there was like 16 tornadoes in my state, and one of them literally went right over my house. Um, it tore up an airport, which is as the crow flies about a mile and a half away. It came across a little lake, bounced over the lake, took all of my trees and tipped them over, snapped the tops off of some of them, and then went on and tore up another whole area of town. It, it was intense to use a camping pun. <laughs> it'd be bad if you were in a tent at that point in time. And you've been spending a bunch of time cleaning up debris and yeah. and just kind of repairing stuff. Right? I got to be a uh, I got to pretend I was a lumberjack for about a week. So we got out the chainsaw and the, uh, the log splitter and like I said all the trees in my yard except for a real little one in the front uh, were were pushed over by the wind. A couple of the big hardwoods like we had a, a a black walnut and an oak that were snapped, twisted and snapped off. So Oh, that's too bad. Yeah, it was bad. Like we counted the rings. My son was pretty excited. We counted the rings on the uh, black walnut and he counted at least least 110. So it was a pretty big old black walnut tree that uh, is no longer and now it will be uh, campfire wood for the coming season. Oh, it shouldn't be campfire wood. I'm a woodworker. You need to somehow preserve some of the wood. I, I initially thought about that, but it literally was twisted and snapped. It, it, like there was nothing to salvage. It was it was split all the way to the ground. And oh, I, I thought about that because black walnut is, is great wood to work with. But Yeah, I'm actually, I, I've got uh, four walnut trees uh, around the, the drive of my house. And uh, the last couple of years, I've been saving the walnuts because I like well to eat the walnuts for one thing. And then now I'm actually replanting them and and plots to get saplings. And I want to start a black walnut orchard. As a woodworker, the wood is so valuable, but so expensive to use. Uh, if I plant, I'm going to try to plant as many as I can, but as many as I can every year will lead to an orchard that could be kind of a retirement. The wood is so valuable that in in 30 or 40 years when I'm ready to be done and the wood is ready to be harvested, I can, you know, take advantage of that. And then during that time, I could also have produce a lot of nuts and then uh, blow down branches and stuff I can use in woodworking projects and stuff. So, But that's that's a side shoot. Let's get into the, the episode. No one cares about my walnut grove. <laughs> So now where I don't have any experience with 
canoeing, where do you start? Like, what do you, what are your advice to people that are like, I want to get out on the water in a boat? Would you start someone in a canoe? Is that a good starting place? I think a canoe is a good starting place in the fact that they're abundant, or at least, uh, I grew up in Minnesota. Uh, we have lakes everywhere. Uh, we have actually a whole designated spot of our state. It's a good chunk of the North called the boundary waters canoe area. And, and that's a set aside spot where it's just designed for canoes or, or non-motorized watercraft. So it's pretty, pretty pristine up there as well. But they're abundant. And I think it's a good spot because it's open. You can kind of get into, into there. There are other more stable floating things. Like, for example, I think a kayak is a little bit more stable. However, a kayak is harder to get into. A, a kayak doesn't carry as much gear. A kayak has, has different elements about it. Uh, I think as far as utilizing the outdoors and getting out and camping and hiking like you and I like to do, I think a canoe is a perfect place to start because you can bring all of that gear a lot more than what you can bring on a, on a hike but a lot less than you can bring in a car or a pickup. Okay. Yeah, I, I was curious to that difference between your, your kayak and your canoe. So like you said, the stability may be a little bit better in a kayak. That's because you sit lower in the water, right? Exactly. You sit a little lower in the water, and it's de the design of the hull is that, that it, it is a little more stable once you're in it. However, it's easier to tip over a kayak than it is to tip over a canoe with the exception of when you tip over a canoe, you are all of your stuff and you are in the water. <laughs> when you tip over a kayak, you can kind of use your paddle and tip right back and no harm, no foul. Okay. So there's, there's a different situation for each. Now, do you suggest you're talking about lakes? Do you want to kind of stay away from the rivers in a canoe? Is that more kayaking for rivers? I think it depends on the speed. Uh, where I'm at, most of the rivers that we have around my area and my state are, are pretty slow going. There's there's not, I wouldn't say too many class five rapids in Minnesota, at least not that I know of. There's a few waterfalls and things when you get uh, to some of the northern areas. But for the most part, because we have the lakes, canoes are ideal for the lakes. Okay. I mean, they're just ideal. Now, there's rivers by us that we go canoeing on too, and it, it creates for a different style of canoe trip. So for example, if you're going on a lake, it's kind of a destination, or on a river, if you're going on a river, it's a destinational canoe trip, um, meaning that you get in at one point and you float down the river and you guide down the river and then you get out and that's where you're at. Where if it's the lake section, you're going to different places in the lake. You're maybe hitting a portage where you portage into a different shallow part of the lake or there's little rivers in between the lakes. So there's a lot of different items uh, when you're doing the lake. For the most part, I think we'll discuss mostly a trip that you would maybe be taking in lake country in Minnesota, northern Wisconsin, uh, different areas of the state where you utilize the canoe and it's designed um, for that type of trip. Okay, back up portage. <laughs> Say what? So a portage is a section of a trek where you actually have to unload the canoe and walk it as if you're hiking to a different destination. Uh, it's uh, like a mini trail in between lakes for the easiest way to understand it. And you have to unload your canoe, haul all of your gear, set it down on the, on the shoreline of the next area, come back, actually carry your canoe down the portage. You port it okay. down the trail to the other lake and you put it in and repack it and you get back in. Oh, wow. That's a portage. Didn't know that. Learning something. Wow. So, and then that also, if you're doing a trip that has one of those, you may, that may determine whether you bring a whole lot of gear or not. Like if you, if you do have to have a long portage or a lot of them, maybe you want to cut back on gear. I know that your canoe can carry everything, but at one point, if you actually have to be carrying it, you 
maybe a consideration. Well, that might be a good place to talk a little bit about some of the differences of canoe trips as opposed to your hiking trips or camping trips. Okay. Uh, the bags themselves are designed much, much different. They're not designed like your long distance trekking backpacks. Okay. There's a company, I think, uh, again, it's one of those things where the brand and the bag are the same thing. They're called Duluth Packs, and they're made by a company called Duluth Pack. Uh, then now there's knockoffs or there's different companies that make just as high a quality and just just as good a style of the packs, but they're really designed different. If you look at one of those gigantic pillows that you may see on like an ottoman or your couch, they're really big. They're about three foot across by three foot wide and they're perfectly square. That's kind of what these Duluth packs are designed like. So they're designed to be packed full and then put into the duff portion of the canoe. Say what? The duff portion of the canoe is the portion between the front person sitting in the canoe and the person in the back of the canoe. It's the portion of the canoe where you put it underneath down on the hull. So it packs from there up. That is the duff between the front person and the back person of a canoe. Wow. Okay. I, I'm taking notes now. <laughs> <laughs> so what you so these packs are designed to pack full of your clothing, your camping gear, your your hiking, your food. And you're actually, because there's no resupply point like you may have on a long hike, you have to carry more food here. So for example, if you're going on a 10 or a 12 day a canoe trip, you need to pack 10 or 12 days of food in these packs and take them with you from the beginning. Now, there's a lot of different styles of canoe trips that people take. For example, the ones mostly that I've been on were for entertainment portions. For example, I took a bunch of kids, uh, great kids, by the way, teenagers, and we went out there and it was great and enjoyable. We weren't really fishing. We weren't really hunting. That wasn't our purpose. Our purpose was recreational, enjoying the outdoors. However, there's a lot of people that take fishing trips. So they take their fishing gear and these lakes are pristine. Now, in northern Minnesota, it's called the Boundary Waters Canoe Area, if you're going to Google that and look that up. They don't allow motorized boats. They just don't allow it. So you're up there in pristine, legitimately pristine lake water. It's not an ocean. It's not salty. It's fresh water. And in this portion of Minnesota is where the glaciers came down and stripped away all the topsoil. So it's rocky and it's clear and it's fantastic. So it's like you're paddling. It sounds beautiful. Oh, it is so gorgeous. And you're paddling and you look down, you literally, it's so crystal clear because there's no, Minnesota's at the top of the country kind of, everything kind of flows out of Minnesota. Yeah. So this is fresh water. You look down, you can see 300 feet as if it was right in front of your hand. Wow. It's, it's literally, you can see so deep and there's no dirt and there's no, inside the lake, there's no dirt, there's no like seaweed, there's no it's perfectly clear down to the granite bottom 200 feet down. So if the sun's above you, you can see down. It's fantastic. That's awesome. I recommend if anyone's going to plan an outdoor trip, everyone thinks about national parks. Everyone thinks about Yosemite and Yellowstone. They're all fantastic, and I'm not pulling away from those. But for something that's a little different, that isn't in the top of everyone's uh, I gotta go there, but just as majestic and just as fantastic, I recommend the Boundary Waters canoe area. So back to the trip itself. That's where it's different is the gear itself is honestly designed to fit a canoe. These packs are designed to haul lots of things. Okay. So, for example, on a portage that we had talked about, you may get to a place and they're measured in rods. And I'm just going to say a little bit about what a rod is. A rod is like 
a measurement. So back in the olden days when they were surveying the United States, a rod was basically a, a, a perch or a pole that the surveyors used to measure a length. So, and they, they say it was a pole, but it was kind of like a chain. If you go and look, you'll, you'll maybe see a chain if you're looking it up. But one rod is exactly five and a half yards or six, what is that? 16 and a half feet. Somebody check my math, but that's how far. And all these portages on your maps are listed in rods. So if you see something that's one rod, it's really five and a half yards. That's how far it is. Okay. Wow. <laughs> Calculating all of that. As you can see, I could go on and on and on and on. Let, let, let's focus back in and answer some of the questions. Ladies and gentlemen, we picked the right guy to ask questions to. All right. So I've got a couple more questions about maybe very basic questions. So here's something that you're talking about these multi-day trips and stuff. And I see a canoe as a, as, as a vessel that floats in water. It is impenetrable from water so now what happens when it rains does your canoe actually like if it's raining will it fill up your canoe like while you're out there do you have to like scoop the water out I, I, or is that not I, a thing I, it's really not a thing <laughs> it's kind of funny I, I mean it could obviously it could get to the point where you have to you know uh, bail out some water but i have all of my years and my vast experience of canoeing i've never had that happen and if it rains you kind of get to your campsite you set up your camp and you, you wait it out for the most part now there are times where you have to get someplace and it's raining for the most part you're not gonna i mean think about a one inch rain a one inch rain takes what three days depending your yeah. canoe can handle probably three three inches of rain before it actually starts causing issues so if you're out in the continuous time where you get three inches of rain be concerned however it's really not an issue you have to worry about okay even if there is a, a monsoon in your lagoon i just wanted to say that <laughs> so okay now that's weather wise so you're talking rain's not a factor so much but how about wind is can wind make it make it worse? Uh, maybe make the lake choppy. Uh, does that affect? A, it, it is okay. So now, is that something that when planning a trip, should people be like? Because I, when I plan a trip, I like to look at uh, you know the weather and how that's going to affect me on these hiking trips. So when you're planning out this trip, are you going to avoid maybe going if you know it's going to be very windy? Or is it not that big of a factor? Well, it's not that big of a factor. However, it is a major factor. And by that, I mean it's going to dictate how you do things. For the most part, uh, you start to pay attention to wind direction. So is your wind coming out of the north? Is it coming out of the south? For the most part, if it's windy and you don't want it too windy, obviously if it's a danger if the wind is to the point where it's white caps on the lake or it's choppy to the point where you're not safe don't go canoeing pull back camp another night pick a different day or pick a different route uh, the benefit of the areas that i have is the lakes aren't that big i mean they're big enough but they're only a few huge ones and you plan your route before you go out so for the most part you're staying within 20 to 30 feet from the shore for the most part. And if it is a wind and you have to get a certain direction because, hey, I need to camp at this site for my pickup at this time, uh, stay near the shore or go directly into the wind. Typically, if you the wind is a crosswind, you're really going to fight that because it's going to change your direction. It's not going to allow you to go the direction you want. And you're going to have to fight the wind, but the crosswind is the worst. So you usually want to go away from the wind or directly into the wind, typically when you're uh, doing a canoe trip. My planning, typically, I like to do a lot of the smaller lakes because the smaller lakes, it's just more intimate. And it, it, the trees, because you're in a pristine area, you have this large stand of trees 
everywhere. It's not like, oh, there's a clear area over there. For the most part, the trees are everywhere, and they're a good windbreak, especially if you have some of these small lakes that you're dealing with. Oh, that's cool. Today's episode is brought to you by... Come see Kepper Chris. He's got all you need. A camping guru, outdoor buff, your expert on stuff. He's also camping out in social media. So come see Camper Chris. So you're talking about like going into the wind and stuff. I went on, this is my one and only time that I was in a boat that I can really remember on this kayaking trip. And okay, so the scenario being we were going down a river. So going with the current down a river and because the current, it was, uh, you know, the, the late part of the year, it really wasn't flowing very much in order to make any distance. We really had to paddle hard. And because I'm kind of an idiot, we chose to do like 75 miles of paddling in three days. So there was like a 35 mile day that we paddled. And because the current wasn't going, it's just, you fought it and you fought it. And then if there was a wind in your face, you fought it. But my question is, we got passed by these two, I'll just be nice and say elderly couple, but all I know is I'd win an arm wrestling contest with them. But either way, we got passed by them. They flew by, by us in a canoe, and I couldn't understand how they would be faster in a canoe than us in a kayak. Like, I feel like the kayak should be faster. Well, there's a couple different reasons that could be. For one, on a kayak, you draft more water. So you're deeper in the water, which is more resistance. You may be more aerodynamic, but you're actually deeper in the water. Canoes typically sit on the top two to three inches of the water, and that's it. Uh, so when you're in a kayak, you're typically five to eight inches underneath the water. So that could be some of the reason. Okay. Uh, the other reason would be there's two people paddling <laughs> in a kayak. It's just you. This is true, but I was mad and I was paddling really hard and they were with, cause as soon as they started sneaking up beside me, I like caught them out of my peripheral and I'm like, Oh, look at these guys going to beat me. I'm this single guy with a double paddle and I'm just going to town. And no matter how hard I tried, it was like me going paddle, 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 paddle. And they're in there going stroke, <laughs> stroke. And they were just, they flew by me. Nate's pride got hurt just a little bit, it looks like. <laughs> well, there was two of us on the trip, and both of us, no matter how hard we tried, could not hunt these two down. And we talked about it that evening when we were at camp and stuff. And it's the perfect opportunity for me to find out why we couldn't catch them. And that, that does that does make sense. As with everything, practice makes perfect. And it sounds like they had a lot of practice. Yeah, years of it, because they were white and old and fast. <laughs> Okay, moving on, moving on. Okay, so I know one thing that I always, I'm worried about, especially camping and stuff, is bugs. And I live by a trout stream at my house, and I know with water comes potentially more bugs. Is this something that you deal with when you're doing these trips by lakes? It seems like lakes not flowing water, bugs could be an issue. It is. Bugs are an issue, and, and more so than bugs, I'll be specific, it is those nasty mosquitoes. So mosquitoes, you know, they breed, they grow, they live in the water, and you're surrounded by water when you're doing your canoe trips. So a lot of times in the middle of the lake, uh, or as you're crossing a lake, you're okay. And as you're moving, you're okay. But if you're really close to the side or in your camp, especially, the the mosquitoes can get bad and they can get nasty. Flies too a little bit. The black flies come up a little bit, but not as 
not as uh, annoyingly or persistent as the mosquitoes do. So I do not when I'm paddling, but when I'm in the camp, I often have a, a netting for my head mm-hmm. uh, that I like to wear because it's just ridiculous. Also, you can you can use all of your different uh, mosquito repellents, uh, your bug repellent kind of things. You can use those to whatever level that you're comfortable with. I tend to lean towards the eucalyptus style of repellents. I think it's Repel is the brand that I, I have personally or have carried for the last couple of years, uh, which is a little bit more of a natural repellent. Um, but there, there's others, and I, I don't I don't diss anyone for getting a repellent, but that is something you're going to have to pack for, you're going to have to plan for, and you're going to have to expect to deal with. Does it matter the time of the year, or is it always kind of like there's always going to be some bugs or mosquitoes? It, it, it always kind of – it's less in the early spring, and then, so if you're out there in the early spring, there's a little bit less. And then after the first freeze, it's a lot less too. Or the first major frost, there's a lot less too. But pretty much once you get into, I would say, two weeks into the spring, they don't stop until the end of the season. Okay. I kind of figured that, but it's good for people to know. You want to go out on these trips, know that you're going to have to, you know, take some bug spray or, or, or at least be preventative for that. Yeah. One of the things I forgot to mention that I want to make sure I get in there for people who are planning a canoe trip that has portages that, that we talked about, there's a special bar. Portages. Portages. <laughs> yes. There's a special bar that you put on your canoe across and it's a carrying bar. So it's got two little pads and it just, it just straps or bolts to the top of your canoe. So it allows you to put it on your shoulders and you carry with your, you know, your head's actually in the canoe and it's upside down over your head as you're portaging it. Uh, they don't How come, do you see where you're going? It, it, you see, it's it's it, it just is perfect. I mean, you only have to see the ground five feet in front of you, right? That's all you have to see. <laughs> that's not true. Well, it, it, that's the way it is. But you need to make okay. sure if you're going to do a long distance uh, canoe trip like this, it's something you need to look at because your canoe doesn't come with it normally. It's a, an extra piece you need to add on. A lot of companies have them and will throw them in if you ask for them. But you just got to make sure, hey, how am I going to carry this? Because you don't want to drag it and drag over the portage and wreck the bottom of the canoe. That's actually what I was thinking. Yeah. Well, I was thinking that you would either just drag it or you carry it like one guy's got it behind him, the other guy's got it in front of him or something. But there's definitely a good way to carry it then. There's a there's a couple different. You could dual carry, like somebody could carry the front, somebody could carry the back. It, it's a little less convenient, to be honest, than if you put this uh, carry bar across yeah. and you just put it over your shoulders and go, can, canoes are light. Surprisingly, they're a lot lighter than they look. I was going to ask that as well. I've got it written down here. Choosing a canoe, and this is this great segue into what I was going to talk about. It's like choosing a canoe. Does the length matter? Is there is there wood versus like synthetic? Uh, you know, like where's is there a baseline? Is there fancy ones? Like for the guy getting into canoeing, what are your tips to like? All right, you need to start here. Okay, so there's a lots of different styles. For example, there's plastic canoes. There's aluminum commute canoes. There's fiberglass canoes. There's wood canoes. And they're all over the place. I mean, as far as price points, you can get one for 200 bucks, or you could get one for $5,000 and probably everywhere in between and beyond my edges, you, you could get them. But where I would recommend starting would be in, I would go to like a plastic or a poly to start. And the only reason I'm saying that is, is this. One, they can take the abuse. Not only can they take the abuse when you're out doing your camping and your canoeing trip, they can take the abuse in your garage. Oh, they can take the abuse. Okay. And that's why I say that. Like, 
for example, I'll just give a little story. A friend of mine was so excited to get in canoeing and he basically got on a tour trip and he was with me. And so we went on this tour. It was awesome. They had these awesome fiberglass canoes uh, for the trip that we rented and it was great and we had a great time. So he was so excited he got home and he bought himself a fiberglass canoe, which is a little on the pricey side. That's not the point of the story. The point of the story is he got it, he put it in his garage and his son or daughter or maybe even him because he didn't want to admit it bumped it with his car and it fractured the the fiberglass and, and it was a crack now all of a sudden he's got to spend money to fix it to patch it you got to make sure it's waterproof that's why i recommend if you're just starting out go with something that that can handle the abuse like a plastic one or a, a poly one or aluminum now aluminum is a lot more heavy a lot more durable. I wouldn't recommend the aluminum for any trip that you're taking a long portage. But if you're going to do a long canoe trip and if you're on a big lake or a normal lake and that's the only place it's going to go, then I would recommend getting something aluminum. They can be dragged. They can be hit. They can have trees land on them. They're nearly indestructible. But at the same time, they're very heavy. So if you have to portage them or if you have to pick them up and move them, you're going to need extra guys. You're going to need a different style trailer. You're going to need a different strap. Right. So I would, I would recommend starting out with something durable for what you're doing. If you're going on a long trip like we were talking about, I would recommend plastic or I would recommend fiberglass because they're light. But then know that you need to take care of them. How about the length? Is it longer one easier, shorter one easier, like the length of the canoe? Or is that more just for people in size? Like It's more for people in size for what you're doing. Like, for example, when you're dealing with kayaks, length matters. If you're on a river, you want a shorter kayak. If you're on a, a big lake, you want a longer kayak because they're more stable. That They're designed for that. Canoeing, it's not as big of a deal because for the most part, you're on a slow river or a slow creek or you're on a, a flat lake. So it's not as big of a deal. It's more fun function for what you're utilizing it for. For example, I tend to, the, the kayak or the canoe that I have that I use the most is a little wider than most. And the reason it's wider is because I know I'm packing all of the gear. When I go on trips, I'm usually the guide, quote unquote, and I use that term loosely. But I'm the one that carrying all of that extra stuff. I'm the one carrying the cast iron pots. I'm the one carrying the grates. I'm the one carrying all of the extra stuff. So I got a little bigger girth uh, to carry more gear. Okay. So there's a, a couple things, but I'm sure most people that are going to get into this, they're going to go somewhere where they're available to be rented, I guess, to get started would, would be a great place to get going because then you can at least experiment and find out whether you even like the sport, not a sport, the activity, you know, so get, getting into a place that you can go, that you can rent them for the day. And, uh, and not actually have to purchase one would be a good starting point as well. Yeah, that would be a good starting point. The typical length of any kayak when you're looking, I mean, if people are going to go and do their research, typically your canoe is going to be around 17 foot. It could be 19, it could be 15, but 17 is about the average okay. uh, where you're going to be. And what's important is when you're going to your outfitter, wherever you're going, they're going to rent them. A lot of your campgrounds have these nice, big, heavy aluminum canoes for you to rent. A lot of your outfitters have what's good for the area of where you're going. So for example, if this outfitter is in the area where they know there's going to be a portage at some point, they're probably giving you the right equipment and gear to utilize for that area. That's great. I got, I got like two more things I want to talk about because I can't fit any more information on my page of notes here. Sure. Uh, so one is for me. I just want to say this because it's a hot tip. <laughs> hot tip. We should have fancy music that plays with hot tips. But when you're when you're in a boat, I've noticed, and I like to do things we talked about, 
doing things in the fall and when the weather's cooler, it's a little bit nicer sometimes. And we were on a float one time and we didn't use canoes. We were actually floating down a river in like pool inner tubes because <laughs> it's just this big float. Everybody gets together and people like design their inner tubes to look fun. They build things. It's like it's a very casual fun thing and in the float no one really brings coolers because they just attach like a mesh bag and you put your uh your drinks or your beer or whatever in the water and the water keeps it cool which is kind of my hot tip for the day but after i get that in now we are time for my last question and that is gadgets is there any cool like motor attachments, gadgets that are something that really is cool for canoeing or, you know, is there anything along them lines? There are some canoes that are designed to put like a little trolling motor on the back to help you move along. Okay. It, it wouldn't be for like a camping. I mean, it could, but it wouldn't be designed for your camping where you'd have a portage or something like that. One of the things that I find pretty important is when you're on a canoe trip, you tend to have to go back to old school maps because you're typically in an area where they don't have cell phone towers, they don't have areas, so your phone is not going to work. So you're going to need a map and a compass. So there's compasses that come that get, you know, you can attach them right to the canoe, to the side of the canoe to figure out your direction. You can have them on the end of your paddles or, or different things like that. But one of the things you want to make sure is you're going to need to know where you're going because it's not like a trail where there's only one way to go and you can either go up or down or north or south or whatever you're at. When you're in a canoe trip, you could go left, you could go north, south, east, west, northeast, southeast, southwest, south, north. Right. You, you could go lots of different directions. So it's good for you to make sure you have some old school, brush up on some of your old school map reading skills and compass reading skills. It's something you could really utilize. And it can, um, be, it can be fun too. It, it adds another layer to the enjoyment in this type of a trip because it adds more. And that's what I love about, you know, the outdoors is you can get into something and you can get into it as big as you want. And the activities that have more tend to, I tend to gravitate towards them. So it's like, oh, I get to canoe, I get to fish, I get to camp, I get to read maps and learn how to use compasses it just adds to it i think that's really cool and the maps have come so long from when i was a kid and started reading maps to some of the maps that you can buy from your local outfitter or today it's so fun to use um orientation like you can use oh there's a jut you look on the map and like oh there's a little sandbar here oh where am i at i don't know wait there's a sandbar and you can use the referencing from the real land to the maps and for me that's kind of fun it's an old school method and, and it brings some enjoyment to my soul, I guess, when you start doing stuff like that. Awesome. Well, I tell you what, I have to thank you this time for this episode because it has been so informative to me and something that I do want to get into because I think that the the canoe trips add an ability to bring more people. We're hiking. Uh, you could bring a family on a canoe trip and the kids can get involved and it's, it could be a lot of fun. So it's definitely something I want to do. Maybe one of these times you can take us on a trip out in the Boundary Waters. It sounds like someplace that I need to get to before, you know, before it's too late, I guess. But so with that, we're going to end the episode with a quote. Today, we'll leave you with a quote. The way of the canoe is the way of the wilderness and of a freedom almost forgotten. Until next time. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye. If you like what you have heard today and you want to hear more from us about camping, hiking, and living the outdoor life, we ask that you subscribe to our podcast. 
share it with your friends, and help us to keep coming to you. If you'd like to join in on the conversation, you can do that on Facebook. Search Camp Hike Live Forum.